Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, then you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish a project at no extra cost. Contact us at OneStop.fm, and let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today, I have Bridget Harris of You Can Book Me, an online scheduling tool that helps businesses manage their customers and calendars. Bridget is the CEO and co-founder of the SaaS. Today, she will talk to us about how she came up with the idea, how she funded her MVP, found her technical co-founder, and navigated her way from zero to 30,000 MRR and beyond. How are you today, Bridget? I'm really well. Thank you very much, Jordi. And how are you doing? I'm doing lovely. Thank you. Why don't you tell me a bit about your who what you can book me does and and how you you differentiate yourselves from other calendar booking platforms out there? Sure. Well, I must say we're probably one of the oldest booking platforms out there. Uh, we launched our first version of You Can Book Me in 2011. Okay. And it was based on top of a tool that we had then we had built from 2007, which is still running actually called When Is Good, which is a meeting scheduler. So it's about how to find a group of people, how to find a time for a group of people to meet. Mm-hmm. And we built okay. that in 2007. This is myself and my co-founder and husband, Keith, who's the developer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were looking at the time really for the sort of the dream of a lot of you know single single entrepreneurs or or, or non externally funded founders to have some kind of passive income you know at the time 2007 this was before SaaS really was a very common common word in our lexicon mm-hmm. but what we we're looking for is a freemium tool that people would use for free and then upgrade if they wanted to and we'd already tried to build a tool in 2003 called Tickboxer which was a survey building tool Okay. So between me and Keith, we'd been working together on multiple web projects and uh, multiple web development, you know, applications and so on. Tickboxer came and went. We realized that it was too complicated to do online survey building. It's a lot easier. It's a lot harder than it than it than it sounds because of the complexity of you know, statistically valid style survey results versus a web form. It was that kind of thing. We couldn't quite find the right balance between the two. But then we stumbled upon meeting schedulers. It was suggested to us by a, a former colleague of ours about a problem that people really needed to, to solve, which mm-hmm. is how do you find a group of, how do you find a time for a group of people to meet? And so we built When Is Good. And When Is Good is still up and running. It still is loved by uh, millions of people actually who use it, but it's free and it doesn't make much money. And so even though we still have a, a great affection for When Is Good, we then... Mm-hmm set our sights on a version of that grid, that booking grid that we had created with When Is Good and allowed people to book directly into calendars. And so the first version of You Can Book Me was born in around 2011. And it was a simple grid that booked slots into Google calendars. And it was for some people, 
particularly small businesses and universities and schools, it just took off. It was just revolutionary. People loved it, even oh, really? though it was such okay. a simple MVP. So okay. the growth in those early years were really, well, now looking back, I mean, I, I can't believe that we went through it. It was like sort of 2000% growth every year kind of thing for, oh, yeah. for a couple of years. But that was that was when, you know, these things were very new and you're, you know, you're right in the middle of prospecting, if you like, in, in the software world with mm -hmm. things, products that people have never heard of before. Now, of course, scheduling is this huge, you know, huge crowded space. And uh, so the so the end of the story now, if you, you know, you asked us what, what differentiates us now, what we focus on is a tool that helps find a team uh, team management basically so we have scheduling across the board for hundreds of people in an organization who can all link their calendars and share and pull and all the kind of dynamic rules that are associated with that and that's a sort of a particular slice of scheduling of the scheduling that market that, right. that we focused okay. we also have a lot of education using you can book me and a lot of very dear small businesses who use who use you can book me so in the space of that sort of 10 year period we've gone from simple simple slots into somebody's google calendar into a very powerful tool we do one and a half million bookings a month we have twenty-two thousand customers we've got half a million users so we, we you know we've really kind of expanded really quickly over right. that 10 year period okay that's that okay that's great going back to you can book me i believe it it's what i can't remember the tool that 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 i've used before but are there is that sort of the freemium one do you still use that now is that your lead magnet or just sort well, of when it's uh, good yeah when it's good yeah yeah well when, so when it's good people do people certainly do are introduced to you can book me through when it's good we advertise you can book me on when it's good but they're in, in a funny kind of way they do solve slightly different problems but the where all all paths lead to availability so in the end the product roadmap of for the tool is to incorporate when it's good into you can book me so that it becomes a broader problem that we're solving so it is we as i said we've never we've never deprecated it because it's it's still used by thousands of people every year yeah okay that's great so tell me about originally the idea was did it come to you from your customers telling you or were you, did you see that okay this is a big problem we need to figure this out I, i'm having this problem myself i mean how did the problem originally come to you so when is good was the first tool we built which was mm -hmm. suggested to us by an ex-colleague of ours who went to America in a university where they needed to find a time for groups of people to meet and so we mm -hmm. built when is good on his suggestion. So it was a sort of a direct, I've got a problem, mm -hmm. you guys could solve it sort of mm -hmm. story. But then You Can Book Me was built from customer feedback using When Is Good. So customers were using When Is Good and they were trying to establish when is the When Is Good grid, which is there for pooling availability. Mm -hmm. They were trying to say, how do I isolate a mutually exclusive slot in one of these, you know, 11 o'clock? How do I make that a booking? And mm -hmm. so that's where Keith built the first version of you can book me on top of that original customer feedback and to sort of answer your question more generally i think that there are two types of problems that get suggested to people there there are going to be existing problems in the world that the internet and web development is well placed to solve bus mm -hmm. timetables is a really good example mm -hmm. nobody has paper bus timetables anymore or train timetables mm -hmm. um, and then there's problems that 
the internet itself has caused. So, you know, yeah. uh, things where they weren't they weren't problems before, but there's to- a whole lot of tools that are built now in order to solve problems that were generated by the fact that we're all online. Right. And You Can Book Me is very much part of the first the first example of that, that we solve a problem that everybody has. It's universal. Finding a time for people to meet, knowing when to, I booked you using a, a, a competitor tool of ours, which is absolutely fine. But, you know, mm-hmm. this is exactly the kind of thing. When are you going to meet? What do you want to do? When's it going to happen? And that's what a booking tool is for. But that problem existed before the internet. And um, I would certainly be in favour generally of focusing on problems that exist outside of the tools that we have now built to help solve them. Because any problem that is based on problems created by the tools is likely to be, could easily be solved another way by another tool very, very quickly or not exist anymore. So I think it's it's really good to focus on problems that human beings have that the internet can help solve. Okay, uh, that, that's, that's a good um, that you point that out. Um, do you have some other examples of tools that you use that do that? that you can think of? Well, what tools do I use? Well, I mean, you know, any any kind of video conferencing tool has, has been a huge boom in the last um, 18 months, hasn't it? Everybody's discovered Zoom mm-hmm. and uh, Google Meet and um, all the other tools that are used to connect, which has helped us in this pandemic. I mean, in some ways, the pandemic has surfaced all of the things that we now rely on, pay, you know, all the payment systems, online shopping, delivery systems, all these incredible systems that we've now set up using software so that we've kept things going, largely speaking, whilst the pandemic has been raging around. So we rely on them a lot. As a remote company, you can book me as a remote company, so we were already relying on these mm-hmm. uh, these tools. But they guess they, I mean, we had a big boost to sign-ups and with You Can Book Me, I'm sure every scheduling tool did because yeah. of the pandemic. So I think that's that's that kind of is a good illustration, yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, yeah. So tell me in the in the early days, how were you people were coming to you through you can find me or were you uh, how did you find your first customers and who were your first customers? Were they universities or They were some of them were universities, some of them were small businesses who were using you can book me to book in salon appointments, driving instructors, nail technicians. A lot of small businesses were started to use You Can Book Me in the early days. But then we also had particularly tech companies in, in North America like Spotify, like Shopify in Canada and mm-hmm. Vox and other big tech companies um, on the West Coast that all could see the value of using online scheduling that started to use You Can Book Me fairly early on, which mm-hmm. is one of the, what, between them and universities, that got us into understanding why the tool needed to to work for multiple team members instead of a larger kind of enterprise, if you like, installation of the, of the tool. Okay, so as I understand now, the tool works well for one-on-one, but also for teams. And you took sort of some of the logic from you can find me. When is good. To, when is good. Yeah, sorry. When is good to use that same sort of logic to for the team booking? Because I don't use a lot of team booking tools. It's almost always one-to-one. And so I can see that being a big, you know, a huge problem for enterprise. Uh, yeah, so know. it's things like customer success teams where they want to be able to create a support desk, essentially support desk booking. Um, so people don't mind who they speak to, that they need to talk to an agent. And then our our software will will surface the person with the, you know, the most appropriate availability. OK. According to the rules, that kind of thing. 
Okay. Okay. And how was the um, pricing done in the beginning? If you have that many customers, I imagine the, the idea was sort of a, a low price point, entry price point. Um, can you just walk me through the some of the pricing and, and maybe how that's changed through the, the evolution of well, the company? It's a big topic. So our initial, and I wouldn't necessarily do all of this again if this was my advice to people thinking about starting starting up a company. We did a freemium product. So all the products we've ever built, and you can probably mm -hmm. not the only product we've built, we've always done it on the basis of freemium. Mm -hmm. because it's a sort of open marketing channel. You think, well, it's free, so people will start to use it. Mm -hmm. The thing is with free products is that you don't really control who uses it because it's anybody it's anybody who wants to can create an account. So you mm -hmm. almost get a false sense of momentum of people using your product because it's free. Mm -hmm. And then what they end up trying to do is move your product towards what they want rather than what you want. And you get this tension between free users and then what they're prepared to pay for. So in many ways, the good examples of tools that have launched, like MailChimp, launched as a, as a pay-first product mm -hmm. whilst they established themselves. And then later on, they introduced a free plan. And I'm quite tempted by that as a, as a general business model, that when you build a product, if you ask money from people up front, you, you have a very good differentiator in terms of who your customers are. Because if you've pitched it to a certain type of customer and you get them to pay you, then you know you're in business. Whereas with a free tool, all sorts of people can use your tool and it's very hard for you to start to segment them according to customers because you start to get very customer hungry because you look right. at a conversion rate from all your users into mm -hmm. your customers. So from our point of view, we we did this sort of freemium. It was a low risk, you know, low friction point of entry. And then mm -hmm. we had the classic premium professional business mm -hmm. tiers. And that worked for for a few years. But after a while, we realized that it wasn't sustainable. Um, it wasn't a scalable pricing plan for us mm -hmm. uh, because we were getting people who were small businesses and not being, you know, having very, very tight budgets, mm -hmm. um, but wanting, needing to pay for the business plan because of the way we had priced in features. Mm -hmm. Whereas we had some really big companies like Shopify and Box who could use everything they needed at an enterprise scale, but all inside $48 a month or something. Yeah. Okay. So we had a huge mismatch between our pricing tiers and our customers. So the second thing we decided after realizing that free wasn't so great for us and we needed to segment more, we also changed our pricing model in 2016 to a unit based pricing. So we now do price per calendar. So it's however many calendars you need for your appointment. So in your case, Jordi, you said that you only generally use it as one-to-one -one booking. It's very unlikely you need more than one calendar, potentially two. Right. Whereas if you're a large company and you have a 25 team member, customer success team, well, then you need 25 calendars. And mm -hmm. it's the maths just immediately tell you, you know, somebody's sort of proxy for value and, and, and ability to pay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, so for example, you price it, I'm guessing here, say 15 uh, pounds per calendar or something like that. And then you, you can, it's easy to get those small uh, businesses to come in. Absolutely. Maybe we should charge 15, uh, 15 pounds, but we actually charge $10 per calendar. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm saying, you know, I, I don't remember what, well, I don't even know what I pay for my calendar. I believe I use Acuity. You, you would know because you book through. Yeah, you do. <laughs> no, okay. So then I think it's it's got to be more than that. So maybe I need to look at switching because I'm not, you know, it's, uh, uh, I mean. Well, we not... have, 
we have uh, some some you know single business people who don't like our pricing because they use four or five calendars so that's very expensive for them yeah um, that makes so, sense. and every scheduling tool has different features so you know sometimes what you're paying for is is not just the actual utility of the calendar or two calendars it's also what the features are as well so i don't want mm -hmm. to take away acuity's business live on mm. air <laughs> i'm yeah, sure that, yeah. i mean it's a great tool acuity is a great tool and thousands of people use it so i mean yeah. it just goes to show the problem is shared by a lot of companies and we're all solving it a slightly different way yeah that's interesting so how has it been the competition wise for you have you has your growth been affected by that you know so i guess these other tools sort of came out in about 2016 2017 can you yeah. tell me about that sort of you know phase in your growth and how that has affected you if at all well i mean it has affected us negatively in the sense that clearly competition is is about it has you know i would imagine by definition if we were the only scheduling tool in the in the marketplace we'd be growing faster and and doing better in in one sense on paper mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the the impact was really interesting about competition which is more to do with an economics principle which is a market functions much more healthily when you have competition because people are able to compare what tools yeah. they want. So mm -hmm. You Can Book Me does really well in all of the review sites. We're in the top three of the tools out there. So Calendly being another one, Acuity, Schedule Once, you know, there's there's loads of tools that are doing similar jobs to us. Mm -hmm. And what competition does is people get to then compare the tools and see that there's sort of a validity in your presence in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So in 2011, we had all of these major you know, hurdles to have to convince people like you need to integrate with Google Calendar or Microsoft 365 now. Mm -hmm. But you know, the, this idea that we weren't gonna do the resource management side of it, we, we were gonna integrate with your calendar and your calendar was gonna do some of the heavy lifting when it comes to resource management. This was a fairly alien concept in 2011. Mm -hmm. Whereas Calendly came along, Acuity started doing it. There's all sorts of companies that basically adopted that same model and then it becomes a a normal thing that that's how scheduling tools work. So then when people are comparing our tools, they're not looking at you can book me as so, a sort of a bleeding edge tool where there's a risk because mm -hmm. there were competitors at the time that built their own resource management calendar system. But then the headache was just moved upstream because then you'd need to sync your Google Calendar with your resource calendar from your booking app. So it, it never solved it. So the way we built our tool was new and innovative. The grids were, were new and innovative. We did it like we did it differently to every other booking tool that was at the time available, usually being used by salons mm -hmm. um, and appointment software. But at the same time, by being new, nobody could really compare us to anything. And therefore, it felt like a risk. But over mm -hmm. the years, as the scheduling world is it and it's an expanding universe so it's in, in no way saturated yet in terms of the number of people adopting scheduling tools mm -hmm. the the advantage to us for competition is that we have tools to, we can compare to hopefully yeah. favorably yes that's right and uh, you know, the first to market and and all the reviews i mean that's sort of hard to catch up to you know i imagine you have a pretty well established following and do you find that new new calendar um, softwares are still popping up or do you feel yeah. like they, they, they still are? So they're solving different problems or, or what? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, as I said, scheduling is this, I mean, there's hundreds of tools that do it. Everybody's got, so I always think about it. It's quite an emotional product in some ways for people because 
Any Anything that's a calendar or time management app is directly interacting with somebody's day. Mm-hmm. So it's it's how they manage their day and how they want to manage their day that leads them to to use a certain tool. So this could be, you know, the scheduling apps that are out there managing people's events and classes or mm-hmm. uh, uh, managing their ticketing systems or managing their leisure time. So when is good was being used or is being used a lot for leisure and social activities, people organizing time for groups to meet socially, not as a business tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got this absolute kind of range of of people of things that people want to do in their lives and there's going to be scheduling tools out there that help them and you're right with you can book me we do have an engine now of bookings and a lot of referrals um people who use the tool to book who really like it who think it's really easy they're more inclined to to then create a you can book me account themselves if they need it for a particular reason mm-hmm. and what were you using in the um early days to fuel the, that growth you mentioned two thousand percent growth what was what was that coming from well it was coming from scheduling itself so bookings so people were going what is this i've never used a tool like this before this is exactly what i need for my business mm-hmm. so bookings themselves became the you know the main um, was it a link or was it, did, did you have sort of a funnel that they could go right from the booking link do you something like yeah, the we bottom had, of the link that says um, set up your own calendars or something like that yeah we had power i think it's still there powered for free so we have a okay. powered by button that, okay. that, that fueled it we also in the early days we still do we used to do a lot of parent teacher conference so schools in america would use google apps for education so that of course mm-hmm. they have all the calendars installed and they would interact with you can book me we used to give it away for free to schools now it's a sort of a a, a subsidized package for them uh-huh. and so they would be using you can book me for parent teacher conferences and therefore all the parents in any school district would use you can book me and often all the small businesses in those areas that had, whose parents had been using you can book me would then think oh I, this is a good booking tool i'll use it for my small business so we got an awful lot of early growth from parent teacher conferences as well Okay, so it sounds like really the focus was on the product, and you were using, you were using the 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 product to help. Um, Definitely. Yeah, and yeah, was... we're, we're we're almost the purest form of product led growth because we we've done very little investment in our marketing. Really, um, okay, because you mentioned you were bootstrapped. So so walk me through like sort of that phase. It's you and your husband Keith. You mentioned was. In the beginning, was there any other form of income that was was Keith having to, to do some so side yes, muscles? So and... yes, yeah, bootstrapping is is not for the faint-hearted. It's not easy. It's not one of those sort of. I mean, you know, I admire the commitment people make to raising investment and mm-hmm. and working with VCs and and doing it. It's a lot of work, um, but you do get where you want to go quicker. I have to say Mm -hmm. bootstrapping is a lot slower, is a lot harder. And in some ways, there's a lot more personal risk. Mm -hmm. Because if you lose it, you lose everything. Whereas obviously, when you raise money, you're sharing some of that risk with your with your investors, and you generally Mm -hmm. get paid. Mm -hmm. Whereas we didn't get paid for quite a few years. So as I said, we launched You Can Book Me uh, When Is Good in 2007. Mm -hmm. I don't think we actually got paid properly ourselves till about 2013. So that's six years of finding income. uh, Yeah. How were you funding yourself during that time? So I was working for a lot of the time I was working full time. So I was kind of the investor. So I was working Mm -hmm. and Keith was managing. Uh, We both worked as consultants, as as, uh, freelancers. So he was working as a IT contractor, as a developer, 
And mm. I was working as a political consultant. I was running sort of various political consultancy activities. So we basically just carried on working freelance whilst we built up the business. We also borrowed money. So we had overdrafts from banks. We borrowed, we had private loans from family. So mm. we did various things to kind of put together. And at some point, the scary thing was in 2013, I gave up all my other jobs. So I had consultancy Mm-hmm. gigs that were coming in that would have kept the family fires going as it were and I said right I'm not going to do any more of that I'm just going to earn money from you can book me okay. and so we went we sort of went cold turkey and started to rely on income from you can book me from about 2013 so that was a good six years after we'd really started the the scheduling mm-hmm. project yeah that's good to tell me about that specifically making that decision a lot of people I think our listeners are are thinking about you know when they can make that decision what did you have some savings or what what how was that time period for you so it's uh, the whole thing is based on your risk appetite you mm-hmm. know and how much you so basically how much you've got to lose mm-hmm. and debt and so one of the things that we did when we went into deciding and it was only like I don't know, two or three thousand pounds a month family income. So, you, you know, it's, that's a that's a very good salary for a lot of families. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for us, it was on the basis of we were still renting and other things. So if you have debt and if you're trying to pay off debt, it's very stressful to then only earn money from your own business because you've got a double whammy. So one of the things that we did was that we, we made sure that we weren't really in any kind of debt. Mm hmm. Uh, so if you're not paying off debt, so when the company had an overdraft and it had debt that um, we didn't, we were still working to underpin mm-hmm. that debt. So any kind of formal financial debt uh, overdraft or loan, I would say is not the right time to start earning money directly off your own business because it's just stressful. That's how I would feel about it. Yeah. I think the second thing is about growth. So we generated a lot of cash into the company in the first couple of years from our our growth and our longer term contracts. Mm-hmm. So around that would be 30... like, say, Shopify and Box. Those were sort of is that so what you're talking about? Th- so, so they'd be getting 12 month or 24 month contracts. OK, so rather. So SaaS is is takes a long time to build up a monthly recurring revenue from SaaS. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is ask them to give you 12 months in advance if you give them a discount. Mm-hmm. So in the early years, we funded quite a lot of what we were doing with projected earnings essentially so you get 12 month income and you book it over the next 12 months but you have it as cash in the bank Mm -hmm. so we were able to build up a cash reserve from our money in advance our income in advance and that gave us a certain amount of security to support paying us but I think this it is it's a chicken and egg thing because essentially the only people who ever say it's worth it to give up your day job in order to focus on your come your own business are the people who have by definition succeeded so mm-hmm. anybody listening to me will go oh right so Bridget did it and you know that was that worked out really well and I did it on the basis of I've got to be all in to this business to make it work if I still doing it if I'm still holding back part-time then I don't know whether it's necessarily going to succeed so I have to jump in and take a risk to make it work mm-hmm. but I didn't do that as a kind of that's not necessarily the right decision for some people. I did it on the basis of we were growing really fast. We had a really good source of cash income. We had we weren't in any debt and we had access to well-paid jobs if it all went wrong. So it was like, OK, well, if it all goes so, wrong, yeah. we, we can go back to our day jobs and we can pay back any debt that we accrue in the meantime. Mm-hmm. So the risk was being 
quite tightly mitigated mm -hmm. against our objectives and what we wanted to achieve. Whereas there's plenty of, you know, I wouldn't do that if we didn't have product market fit, if we didn't have a very strong growth profile, if we didn't have an understanding of how to get more customers than we had currently. So I wouldn't sort of say with your MVP after eight months and you've borrowed a hundred thousand pounds, you think, oh, this is time to go full time. Let's throw ourselves into it. it. It might be the circumstances are very, very different. And I would say there'll be some people who did decide to take that decision to go full time and it does fail. And then they're not they're not doing podcast interviews later on telling everybody why it failed and why they made the wrong choice. So I think you have to weigh up the what's the worst that could possibly go wrong? Can you afford to lose all of it? What what can you do in the meantime that will mitigate those risks? And then more importantly, do you see a future for the business that you have? Do you see very strong business indicators that this is going to work, that this is going to pay you back? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like at that time you were making the decision based on the growth that you were you were seeing at that time, and it was it was it sounds like it was quite strong. Was was the revenues coming in about the same as what you were making from your day job, or could you so, just see? Was it projected out to be okay if I if right now were you just like oh my god I'm so stressed I can't do this? Was it more like that type of a decision? I have to. Yeah, it, well, so we were, so we, we, we were using, our revenues were higher than our, than our current income, but mm -hmm. we were using that revenue to pay for other people. So okay. the decision that Building we had your team was, out. You yes. Had, yeah, so we okay. were, so we were using that revenue to pay for customer support people that we needed, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. other, you know, engineers that we needed. So we were contractors and freelancers. So we had a sort of, um, I can't remember what our actual, I think in 2000 and 15 our revenue was about half a million pounds so you know work backwards to 2013 it was probably about 200,000 or something I don't mm -hmm. I'd have to check but or 150,000 maybe so we probably had quite a big chunk of money that was coming in but we were spending on things so what we weren't doing is take turning that into a personal income for me and Keith we started in 2013 to pay us fairly modestly and then you know as that grew we also used it to hire people so uh, I have an analogy that I use, uh, which is the elves and the shoemaker. Have you heard of that story, Jordi? The no, uh, I don't believe a, I have. It's a children's it's a children's folk tale, and it's about mm -hmm. a husband and wife who are um, shoemakers, and they're basically on their kind of uh, final piece of leather that they use to make shoes. And in the middle of the night, these kind of fairy elves turn up and they make the shoes for them. This beautiful pair of shoes, and the next day, a fancy prince turns up at the door and buys the shoes, gives the elves, the shoemakers, enough money to then buy leather for two pairs of shoes. And they leave the leather um, overnight and the elves come and they make two pairs of shoes. And they're so beautiful that other people in the town come. And so you build it up slowly. And finally, the shoemakers and the shoemakers don't know who makes the shoes. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not I, we we in, in our analogy, we actually were making the software. We weren't relying yeah. on elves. Right. But the principle is you just you, you create a small margin, you get a bit extra. You use that extra to reinvest in what you're doing. You yeah. expand, you get a bit more, you use it to do what you're doing. And the advantage yeah. of it doing like that is that when you make mistakes, it's very agile. When you make mistakes, they tend to be smaller mistakes. You tend to see them quicker and you can correct them. Whereas the alternative for us would have been taking on a million pounds in investment or trying to find funding. And then the risk would have been to spend a million pounds really quickly and make a mistake and it would be a huge mistake. Right. So our risk profile 
was folded into the reasons why we decided to bootstrap because we were not confident about having first being first time entrepreneurs not confident about being able to build those you know make those shoes <laughs> yeah. for the right people in in the right way so we just did it in a much more gradual way okay and you mentioned some other other products what are those other products are they separate or are they part of uh, you can book me well when is good is still out there it isn't currently part of you can book me but the plan is to bring it in. Tickboxer yeah. was something we we deprecated and closed down. We had another tool yeah. called Sign Up Sheet, which uh-huh. is still technically running, I think, for a couple of users, but we deprecated it. So we okay. built a lot of products. It's very easy to build. I mean, the thing is, it's very easy to build software products. You know, if you've obviously got developers and designers and you can get it out there, the hard part of it is to manage the business, get customers, keep people happy, grow. You know, the, we, we've built tons of products, but um, that's not the be all and end all. That's not the magic. Mm-hmm. The magic is, can you turn what you've built into something that people want at scale? That's right. And um, is there is there plans for you to, I mean, what are your plans? I mean, it's doing very well now, or are, are you planning to continue to grow? Or is there an exit strategy? Or, or what are you thinking? Well, so our plans are always... And this sounds corny, but it's true. Our plans are always driven by what our customers expect and want from our product. So our mm-hmm. product has very mature. It has a lot of new additions to it recently built by our team, uh, but, it's, but it can always be improved and be better. So the customers that we have are helping drive forward that process and that investment. So we're doing a little mini in hiring phase at the moment. So we're growing from, from about the beginning of the year, we were about 15 people. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the year, we're going to be about 25 people working for yeah. us. So we're having a little mini investment phase, hiring in some pretty senior experienced people whose job it will be to take You Can Book Me to the next the next level of growth. And that's because I feel very strongly that our customers give us their money to build a product for them that they want. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we need to do. And that's wh- whether that's me and Keith at the helm of doing it or not, that is that is our plan. And as founders, we have this very, very privileged position of being able to watch an incredible team work together um, on doing that. So that's really plan A is just keep building a product that customers want. And thankfully, me and Keith are well past the sort of early stages of family hold back kind of issues about giving mm-hmm. up, uh, you know, not, we, we certainly do get paid now. So it's, it's, it's a, a real yeah. privilege to run, run the company for the benefit of our customers and of the people who work for us. Yeah. Can, can you tell me um, some of the different phases that you, that you've gone through is sort of, I want to say maybe from the MVP, it sounded like you were reinvesting back. You were still working uh, a, a day job at that time you were hiring has it been sort of a smooth, like, I imagine it's not just all been smooth sailing. What are some of the big different, pla- any plateaus in, in revenues and how did you overcome those or, or different challenges that you've had? So the, yes, certainly we have, it has been up and down like this. It's not been plain sailing. It never is. And I would say that the biggest, it's not a hurdle because it can also be a complete pleasure, but the, the, the big topic for any company growing is hiring people. Mm-hmm. And that's where working with experienced people, so VCs and investors and people who've you know, multiple serial entrepreneurs, 
have done it all before so they've they know who they who they're looking for and they know the kind of people that are going to work in a particular industry or for for a certain product so i would definitely lean on more advice early on than what i had but i mm. tend to find myself speaking at conferences mostly about hiring because mm. that's what i have basically been doing for the last 10 years one way or another mm. and sometimes it it works out really well and you get these fantastic people who are a pleasure to work with and other times you find that you've done absolutely everything you possibly can to hire the right person and you get these excellent human beings working for you but they're just not quite right for the company or for the job it is that you've asked them to do and so they have to move on and the friction involved in people joining and leaving your company is always a stressful time mm-hmm. so we uh, you know we try to keep the team fairly small and pretty stable we have a mission which is to be a tiny company that does big mm-hmm. things yeah. because large companies are just by definition very complicated because of their size and hr becomes really one of the most important parts of it hr culture you know the the things that go with people getting people to work for you and we've made a lot of mistakes but equally every time we do make mistakes i take it upon myself to try to reflect and learn from that and not make the same mistake again because our human capital are the people that we're investing in coming mm-hmm. to work for you can book me are really the most valuable thing we have and as i said again you know our obligation is to our customers to provide them with the best customer service we can for the money they give us and so what i tell everybody inside you can book me is the money in our bank account comes from customers they're paying us so our obligation is to do the best we can for them and that does involve making sure that our team is well remunerated taken care of and is happy Mhm. And and some of the big mistakes that you can tell us about in in it sounds like hiring. Um, I think that probably the I don't want to blame anybody personally that we've hired because I always take responsibility for ourselves from role about anything that's gone wrong. But I think that where hiring has gone wrong has been where we have not properly explained our expectations of what we want that person to do. And mm. we've ended up with investment in projects software you know quite expensive installations and implementations of things where we didn't provide proper oversight over what people were doing and when we found out later what they had done it all had to be taken apart and and, and reversed so that's very expensive and costly when you it sounds awful but when you trust people too much to do stuff but it's mm-hmm. not really about trusting it's about being not careful enough to check and support people in what you want them to do so we've done we've had some you know major reversals in and out of ordinary things like billing and subscription management software and internal tools that we built that then end up not getting supported properly that's the kind of you know you can solve a lot of those by for example relying on third party partners to build software for you so you've got better contract with them about what they what they're doing or you use tools that will t- will take components from your business and deal with it separately so i mean a good example for us is we use stripe for our um, payment processes but there's loads of other we don't use them for subscription but we use them for payments you know for things like payment processing mm. which is massively regulated and very complicated yeah. Yeah. there's no way we're going to build our own version no, of that no, so that's you right. have to use yeah. something like stripe or, or um charge b or something like whatever that. exactly yeah. so that's the kind of example where i think earlier i if, i wish i had known you don't have to do everything in house you don't have to hire everybody in house to do everything sometimes it's better to pay that extra bit of money at the start but to get a third party organization or product to work for you that you then have more accountability 
with because it's once you hire people and they're working for you it's actually ironically harder sometimes to get them to do what you want them to do yeah that that does make sense we're, we're getting close to the top of the hour so i wanted to thank you for your time do you have a, a, any other advice that you can maybe uh leave uh, leave our listeners with before we drop off on start if you were gonna let let's say you were gonna start a, a company again today all of the the lessons that you've learned what would you do how would you start it so i think the biggest lesson i would like to tell other founders considering starting a business and this is not my advice you hear this a lot but it's true mm-hmm. is that any business you start has all of that incredible glamour and momentum in the first couple of years but to be successful it's going to take at least 10 years to get going ben chestnut from mailchimp uh, talks about you know 10 year you get your momentum there's the classic phrase of you know it takes 10 years to be an overnight success but it's true mm-hmm. and i think pretty much everybody assumes that the whole vc bubble unicorn flip type language is something that you get into you find a product you build it you get your investors everybody's really happy you've built a two or three million pound company you can flip it next year pay off the mortgage and i don't think that me and keith were any different in in Mm -hmm. us thinking about that but the first product that we built was in 2003 i mean we're talking Mm -hmm. nearly 20 years ago We we then build a whole load of products that don't work Then we build a product that does work. And then we realize that you kind of head into the mire of business development and uh, hiring and company development and so on and so forth. So the thing is that you've got to, first of all, be realistic about how long something's going to take. But secondly, I would say never sacrifice today in order to somehow secure tomorrow, Uh, which is I've just made that up as a saying. But my point is, is that don't miss birthday parties. Don't miss holidays. Don't miss. Don't sacrifice your life because you think I need to sacrifice and piss everybody off today because Mm -hmm. tomorrow I'm going to be, you know, tomorrow I'm going to, uh, it'll all be worth it. Because you don't know whether it'll be worth it or not. But more Mm -hmm. importantly, your life is what you choose to do today. Mm -hmm. And if you're having a really stressful, difficult time today, well, that's your choice to live in a stressful, difficult time. Mm -hmm. Whereas I can say over the last 10 years, we've had, we've done so many other things as well as build, you can book me. And it hasn't stopped us from being dedicated and hardworking, but we haven't sacrificed everything to do it. And I think that you have to bear that in mind because the worst thing would be for either for it to take so much longer than you expected, all those sacrifices, you know, that then felt unrecoverable mm-hmm. or indeed it fails, your business fails. And so then it mm-hmm. feels like, God, you've, it was a complete waste of time. So I think you have to, you have to balance what your business is for and what your life is about. And they're not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, and think for the long haul. It sounds like you're saying, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, well thank you so much for your time, Bridget. uh, I've enjoyed speaking with you. I've enjoyed it too, thank you very much, George. And if people wanna reach out to you, you can book me, Uh, what's the best best way to- Absolutely, well they can, I'm I'm, um, on Twitter, Bridget Today, or email Bridget at youcanbook.me, I'm pretty easy to get hold of. LinkedIn, just send send me a message. Okay, great. We'll have all the links in in the show notes, and I'm going to personally check out. You can book me as well because everyone's using cal, you know, calendar inv- you know, scheduling. So yeah, so we'll we'll uh, check it out. Thank Excellent. you so much. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.